Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. G'day, this is Better Than Yesterday. Uh, I'm Osha Gisberg. This is a podcast here to make your day today better than yesterday. Making it better since 2013. Uh, that's what we've been doing. Anyway, thanks for listening. I'm a TV host. I'm an author. I'm uh, someone who's tidying up an apartment very quickly because my uh, wife and youngest child are on the way to visit me for a few days and it's in um, nobody's here mode. <laughs> so I better hurry up and show you and clean it up. Uh, I'm in Melbourne at the moment making some telly. And uh, speaking of telly, if you feel you've got a few moments in your day and you want to throw a vote my way for the TV Week Logie Awards, I'm up for a gold Logie. And look, a statue's not going to buy my groceries, but more people listening to this podcast will. And um, if these are the kind of conversations that you think more people could do with hearing, that's what a vote will do. And so thanks if that's your thing. I'd appreciate it. On Wednesdays, we like to go back and listen to a shorter version of a lot longer conversation. In 2020, uh, on episode 326, I spoke with Richard Reed. He's an entertainment reporter. Uh, you've seen him on in Australia. He's on the Today Show. He was also he won. I'm a celebrity. Get me out of here. He was born in Oregon, but he's based in Sydney. And I want us to know when did he leave Oregon for bigger and better things? Uh, well, when I was 18, I fled on a Greyhound bus. Really? Um, yes. It's like I, a music video. Yeah, I know. Well, I was 18, and I had You're my saying, first boyfriend, who was 22. Yeah. Who was a he was divorced from a dental hygienist, a mm -hmm. woman, and we had appeared together in a community production of You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown. He played Schroeder. I played Linus. And he looked under my blanket and uh, whisked me away to San Francisco. Oh, really? I know. So what was the conversation with your folks? I was like, hi, I'm going to go to San Francisco for a trip right after high school. And they're like, okay. My folks were rather oblivious. Really? Oblivious. Yeah. I was always the good child, yeah. which means I was always the smart child. My brother and sister 
they didn't do anything I didn't do. They just weren't as clever as I was to cover it up. Right. So yeah. did you, had you come out to them by this point? No, 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 no. But, you know, I, Blind Freddy can tell I'm gay. Come on. I've been living with that every day since I was probably, oh, my God. 10. Holy shit. Yeah. You somehow, I remember the first time someone called me Swivel Hips, and then that nickname stuck. It was horrible. It was horrible growing up in a small town, being the only gay in the village, and being called names every single day for probably five to seven years. To think that, sorry, I just got really quite emotional there. Um, to what we were talking about before. To think that you know here you are you are you're a little older than me I'm in my mid forties mm. and even now your reaction to did you come out to your parents like fuck no no way at eighteen and now we live in a time where if you're thirteen fourteen it's probably pretty safe in most parts of this country to come out I don't know if it still is in the small towns possibly I yeah think it could I, be different in the small towns but larger towns also you know now when you hear stories of young people 13 14 maybe even younger saying I was born in the wrong body yeah I might be biologically a man but I'm a woman inside mm. and this is you know people who are barely in their teens yeah. and telling having that conversation with their parents yeah you know yeah I didn't come out till I was 26 to my parents, and I took a trip. I was living in New York City at that time, and I took a trip specifically to tell my mother that I was gay. And it took me probably two years working very closely with a therapist before I grew a set of balls and could do it. What was her reaction? Uh, well, you know, it was very odd because we were in a parking structure, and somehow the conversation, we were in the elevator, and somehow the conversation, so are you dating anybody? And I was like, oh, mom, I really don't, I really don't date. And she goes, well what, well, well, what do you really call it when you go out with a girl? And I said, mom, I, I don't go out with girls. I'm gay. I think you know that. And she was like, no, I don't know that. And I was like, well, I am. Wow, really? And then the elevator door opened. Uh, and we talked about it a little further, but she didn't tell my stepfather yeah. for another three years. Whoa. I'm very close with my stepfather, but I didn't have that uh, conversation with them. And wow. then she told him when she was having a bipolar episode. All right. <laughs> yeah. So it just kind of slipped out. Was she, was she sick, you know, most of your growing up? Oh, yeah. She would have episodes. Well, she had episodes ever since she was in high school. But, yeah. you know, when you're younger, you have one and it can be, you know, five, six, seven years. And then you might have another one. So she, I, I don't even think they knew to call it, you know, bipolar, manic depressive. I just, they just called it crazy. Mm. But she spent her first time in a mental institution when she was in her second year of uni. Mm -hmm. She had a breakdown in college thanks to diet pills. Oh, good Lord. Well, that amount mm, of Diet pills. Well, for, for folks who don't know, they were basically over-the-counter amphetamines, really, really clean speed. Yeah. And if you had an exam to do, if you had a thesis to write, yeah. 
pop a couple of these babies in, you can do three straight days. You do three straight days without sleeping, you're going to have episodes of psychosis. Like, that's it. Your yeah. brain starts to fucking malfunction. <laughs> Mother's little helper, they your, used to call your, them, your brain, you know? Yes, my brain starts to malfunction and shit just goes yeah. wrong. Shit just goes wrong. Yeah, and you, when you're on amphetamines yes. to study, and also my mother was on a diet every day from the time she was 13 years old. Really? Massive body issues. Massive. Oh. I wonder where I get them. And so... Yeah, you you throw amphetamines into being bipolar, yeah. and you just—it's just like a Molotov cocktail. Right. It's like a time bomb. Just well, it's, waiting. It's one to of those, and it's one of those um, people reach. Unfortunately, in Australia, they reach for meth now, because it's one of those med- self-medicating drugs mm. where you know if you're that down and you take something to get you up mm. oh great or as well with if you're on antipsychotics the weight gain is such a drag yeah uh, you know a couple oh, of so antipsychotics and meth i haven't heard that one yeah 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 i was thinking yeah <laughs> not for, i was thinking <laughs> meth not for depression i was thinking just as a, as a you know you want to lose a couple pounds before the wedding you oh, know right. it, that, but it doesn't happen no, that way no goodness no you know goodness did she ever talk to you about you know what was going on do you remember the first time you saw her and she was being something doing something or saying something that wasn't like other mums oh gosh when my grandfather died i was in the 5th grade and my mother was especially close to her father and he died suddenly And she fell into a very deep depression, didn't Mm. get out of bed for mm, probably a month and a half. Oh, man. But it was something we never talked about. Yeah. And then right after that, she had an uptick where she went the opposite direction. I remember one time my dad came home and we were all sitting around the dinner table. And it was just, there was just tension in the air. I don't know why. And my dad was like, "Uh, Lynn, pass the roast beef. And, you know, she didn't say anything. And he goes, Lynn pass the roast beef and she doesn't say anything and by that point my brother sister and I were like oh fuck what's up here it comes yeah. and she goes Lynn pass the roast beef she takes the roast beef dumps the entire platter onto his lap she goes you want roast beef here's roast beef leave me alone and she burst into tears and ran out of her room and we never talked about it oh really never talked about it never talked about the fear back then was like are you getting a divorce I'm like no we just had a fight your mother just had a meltdown and she had meltdowns pretty regularly probably for every seven years and then uh, she had another one after I left home where she was uh, driving people around from the church and uh she drove an old lady to the local supermarket to do her shopping. And the woman said, uh, bye, Lynn. We'll see you later. And my mom goes, you're a fucking slut. And shut the door and left the old woman at the shopping market. Mm-hmm. And we're like, well, that's unusual. <laughs> and then a couple of days later, she didn't come home, didn't come home, didn't come home. And then she drives up to my dad, dad's house in a brand new Ford minivan. And was like, I thought we needed a new car. I was like, we can't afford this. She goes, well, we need it. You know, you just don't do something like that. And so there were episodes that we all thought, oh, mom's just being crazy. And then it got really bad and she was institutionalized for three, four months. Oh, right. A big, big depression. And you were, but you had gone by then. Yeah. Well, I'd already gone... I'd moved around. I'd moved to San Francisco, Los Angeles. I moved to New York. And at this time, I was living in Seattle. Now, at the time that Richard lived in Seattle, there was quite a cultural moment going on. There was a huge gay community there. And um, 
in my mind, it's like the Village People movie. And I wanted to know, was it like that in real life? Oh, God. I was like, <laughs> you know, because disco was, you know, at its peak. And yeah. I was just, I was just a little twink with bleach blonde, you know, feathered. Of course hair, you were. Of course skinny. you were. Skinny. Like I wasn't eating properly. I was pale. I was white. I was like every yeah. pervert's dream boy. And I was having a really good time. And the 22 year old, was he still around? Or? Oh, my God. Two weeks later, it was over. I broke his heart and moved in with a 38-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> Wolfgang. Wolfgang. Yes, he was a German. And God, can you say daddy issues? I guess I had those. Oh, really? I had yeah. those. Absolutely. Yeah, well, that's, that's not uncommon. It's, it's not an uncommon thing. Oh, I loved him. I'll oh, bet you did. Oh, my God, I loved him. And I thought he loved me until about a month later when... A cuter, maybe 17-year-old caught his uh, eye. You know, I, I, I pretty much knew the deal. So, but I was always special to him. Yeah. He always kept me around. So, so let me just good. do that. I'm just trying to get the, the scope of this, you know, depending on the context of the first stuff we talked about. I'm just trying to get a scope of your... You are a, a, just a little bit older than me. So this would have been right... 50, I'm 55, and this AIDS was just yeah. in the public this is, consciousness. This is, this is what I'm going on about. Like, yeah. This would have been right at the very start of the like seven or eight years of Reagan just not doing anything like the US government just denying yeah. that this even existed and letting I think something like 25 30 40,000 people die. Oh yeah. Just let them die. Yeah, well it was you know it was considered a, a gay disease. It first started the first thing they called it was gay cancer. Yeah. And uh, then they called it grid and then it got its name AIDS and it wasn't really until it started seeping into the American heterosexual community, you know, through bad blood transfusions yeah. or... Uh, Guys on yeah, the down low. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> men who have sex with men who don't identify as yeah. gay. That's yeah. still where uh, the predominance of uh, HIV is spread in America, but I digress. So it was right before that, and I remember going to Wolfgang my 38-year-old boyfriend, and saying, Wolfgang, I don't want gay cancer. And he said to me, oh, Richard, only fags get gay cancer, and you're not a fag. And I was like, oh, I'm not? So clearly he had a very German kind of, oh, there's fags and there's gay people. Well, I always thought I was kind of a fag, but apparently... It yeah. didn't happen to me. It, like the idea that your identities and the problems facing your your community are just being so extraordinarily ignored and just just denied existence. And, oh yeah, and just being utilised, unfortunately, by the Christian right in that country at the time to just marginalise people who had no choice in how they got born. Yeah, even further. Yeah, and then to top it off, because America is quite puritanical. Yeah. Quite puritanical. So it was a disease that gay men got from having butt sex. Therefore, it was a crime against nature, a crime against God, and they got what they deserved, and they need to die alone in a hospital, and their family needs to disown them. Yeah. It was sad. I'm not lying to you, Asher. When I tell you all my friends died. I don't, I don't All doubt it. All of them. I don't doubt it. You would have gone to a lot of funerals. A lot of funerals. Yeah. A lot, ran out of tears, ran out of tears. And God, I don't know why, but I was spared. I was spared. And it wasn't like I was smart. Believe me. I was like the little horror Castro street. But somehow I dodged that bullet. God, amazing. 
There has to be a higher power. There has to be something in the universe that spared me. It wasn't my common sense because I didn't get common sense for a long time. Did people call you and say, I've got it, we've been together? I've had that. I've had that conversation before. Yeah. And at the time, it was a death sentence. Oh, my God. A death sentence. People don't quite get it. You know, there's, they there's, don't. there's prep, there's all this. They uh, don't. Even here in Sydney, people don't quite understand that there were the Sacred Heart Hospice, which is, is not far from here, actually. Mm. It's just near St. Vincent's Hospital. Mm. I think it's a 22-bed hospice. And I think at one point, the number I heard was like 145 people that just had men lying in the hallways just yeah. dying. They thought... This is right before the bowling ball Grim Reaper commercial, which yeah. if you go on YouTube, you'll see <laughs> oh, it. Oh, I've seen that. Um, this is right before that because they're like, this Did it scare is the, the, shit this out is of the you? fucking plague. Did- I was 10. I was 11, <laughs> you know, when it came out. But they thought this is the plague. We don't know how to stop this. Yeah. At least they took it seriously enough to put a public service announcement on, on the telly. But it's the devastation of what it did to the city. You know, you look at somewhere like New York. I mean, and I've talked about this on the show before, something like the Metropolitan Ballet in New York. Mm. Like, their subscriber number just vanished within about two years because all their audience died. You know, opera companies going broke. Oh, 100%. You know, and, and, and the same thing, like, holy shit, man, the amount of Felice on for rent signs you must have seen just because the tenants have died. Like, I can't imagine oh, how yeah, horrible no, it no. was. The only upside for me was that when you'd go to an op shop or a Vinnie's or something, the clothing selection was fabulous. All right. <laughs> That's a grim way of looking at it. You know, is- and I know what I'm saying. I'm like, God, where do you get these suits? And they'd be like, well... <laughs> It's a very well-dressed You remember Danny? Man. Yeah, yeah I remember <laughs> Danny. He always looked really smart. Yeah. Those pants were his. I'm oh, like, oh, oh, You know? Oh, my gosh. But you know what? You have to find humor where you can yeah. in every situation. And, you know, when you live through that type of epidemic, that yes. kind of, yes. of holocaust, yeah. as it were, you learn to laugh. You know? You, whoa. You learn to laugh. My goodness me. I I have a, a, a friend who is, um, is, is a bit older than you. He's about 15 years older than you, but he has a similar story. Of He goes, you know, you've seen those photos of the Fire Island parties? He goes, yeah, of course I've seen those photos of the Fire Island parties. He goes, like, that was me in those trunks. I was there every weekend. <laughs> and he says, like, if you took a, you know, if, you, if there was 100 men in that photo, it's probably three of us alive. Yeah. And he goes, he goes 100%. I, and he says, I have no idea why I'm not dead. He goes, because I was doing everything those guys were. Yeah. And luck of the draw. Mate. It's, really, it's the luck of the draw. <sighs> luck of the draw. And you could have had, you know, let's say you were like a young kid, fresh off the bus, maybe have sex for the first time. Mm. <laughs> Welcome. Done. Yeah. Hello. You know? Yeah. So I, I'm very blessed in that way. We're back in a moment with Richard Reed. Uh, We do have to keep the lights on here, so I need to play some ads. So thank you for listening to them so I can pay the people that work here. Back in a sec. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. 
it's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. This is Better Than Yesterday. I'm Osha Gisborne. We're speaking with Richard Reed today. It's a short version of a longer conversation. You can find it episode 326. I'm 13 years sober. At the time Richard and I spoke, we spoke about sobriety. And um, he told me that there was one point uh, where Richard was sober for three years and uh, then something happened. Well, then I got a show called Domestic Blitz. Yes. I was with Nine at the time doing the Today Show, The Gossip Crosses, and I got this call, and they wanted me to be on the show Domestic Blitz. Prime time, um, yeah, let's prime go. Yeah, prime time, Scott Cam, Shelley Grant. Yeah, it yeah. was the, I always say the bastard child of uh, Backyard Blitz. Oh, yeah. You know, it was a beautiful, beautiful show, and I would come and take the family away on a holiday while Scott and Shelley and the crew would redo their home. And so it was through my time with them that that we'd find out why we chose them. And usually it would have to do with maybe an illness in the family uh-huh. or maybe some depression, unemployment. And, you know, it, it's very hard on me because uh, it was hard on me because I'm a very sincere, honest, upfront, yet curious person. Mm. And so I felt like I was being mildly manipulative when I would ask them so tell me about the cancer, you know, and you know, it's TV, you know, you want something heartfelt. And I just would feel so bad. I had three years, came down to do that show. I was also doing the Today Show, getting up at 3 a.m., working on that show till 9 a.m., getting in a car and then working until 8 p.m., trying to get some sleep, trying to do my job. I was so tired. All I did was work, eat, shit and sleep. Mm-hmm. And I had no friends. I didn't knew no one really here. And so it was just one day a friend of mine said, hey, you want to get high? And I was like, sure, sure. Right. I'll smoke some pot. That pot was, was never my thing. Ah. That was it. That was what I saw because drinking yeah. was always my thing. Yeah, love yeah. a drink, love a drink. And then I was like, yeah, sure. I'll get high. It was never my problem. I'm, I'll be okay. So then I went back to LA and they were like, oh, man, your sobriety, you've totally lost your time. And I was like, well, if I lost my three years of time of being sober, I might as well go out and have a fucking party. Right. And it was not pretty. It was not pretty. There was like one thing that I always enjoyed about drinking was my favorite was blackouts. (laughs) I I was like, what's the point of drinking if you're not going to black out? What does that say? If I remembered it wasn't fun. Yeah, exactly. And so I had a number of blackouts and down here I, I had some fairly humiliating business situations from being drunk and on sleeping pills. And it was just demoralized, yeah. as they say. And so, pff, got my shit together again. And, How long were you out? Oh, in and out for about two years. Two years, yeah. wow. Yeah. Oh, man. I yeah. I got chills just thinking about yeah. that. Mate. That's. I never learned to drink like a lady. Well, no, I never did. Well, oh, can the... I just sip it? Oh, I'll have a beer and a water and a beer and a water and a beer and a beer and a beer. Yeah. Oh, and, could I have a shot of tequila, please? Why I don't know why I'm English all of a sudden. But yeah, it's the deals you make with yourself, yeah. isn't it? It's not just if I have a water between the drinks, yeah. I'll be fine. 
Holy oh fuck. God. Spice. I like to have a spice of between beers. Yeah. Nah. And I just didn't. The, the bottom line was, Osher, is I didn't like the person I was becoming and the person I was when I was drinking. I wasn't a good friend to myself. I wasn't a good friend to my friends. I embarrassed myself. I embarrassed my brand, if that really matters. And I was just not a pleasant person. And I look like a bloated pig. I've spent a lot of money trying to look as young for as long as I can. Why would I fuck it up with booze? Well, I don't know why I'm fat still, but <laughs> you're not. I'm not drinking. Well, it's you're still, not. you know, you're always fat in your mind. <laughs> you are. If, you you know? if, you've, if you've been big. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. And I have been big. Yeah. What's, what's wild is I'm having a bit of a flashback to the first meetings that I ever went to, which were all in West Hollywood because the first sober person I called to help because I knew this person went to meetings. And he was essentially uh, a Tom of Finland cartoon come to life. Oh, yeah. Do you have a big dick? I from from what I gather in the silhouettes that yeah. I saw, but the forearms, yeah. the tat- sailor tattoos, the mustache, the jawline. Tom of Finland, for people who don't know, was this uh, artist in like the 40s, 50s, even? Something like that. 60s. And he, he basically created his, drew his, like if you're a teenager. Macho men. Yeah, if you're, if you're a teenager, you're drawing the perfect wave. Yeah. You know, and you're trying to, like if Pipeline was perfect, this is what, it was like, this is the absolute perfect sexual desire object that I have. Yeah. And it was, the leather man from Village People is the best way I could 100%, put it. But 100%. With, but if leather, the leather man was He-Man, you know, just completely yeah. preposterous muscles and, and yeah. forearms. And, so this guy looked like this. I was like, holy shit. And he was the life of the party and wow. he was sober. I'm like, what the fuck do you do that? How do you do I didn't know that you could. And he was a very, he's a very talented photographer. And I was like, how do you do that? How do you maintain a career? He's like, shit. So I called him and I said, mate, I need help. I know you go to these meetings. Can you take me? He goes, sure. I'll take you. And so the first meetings I went to were all in opposite the log cabin. The was, log cabin. Oh, the recovery center on Robertson. Oh, <laughs> that's where I went. yes. So then I spent a month there, right? And That's where Sir, the uh, Beverly Hills Housewives restaurant is now. Oh, right. Sir and then Pump. I've been and to then you Sir. have the recovery center. I've been to Sir. Yeah. Anyway, so I go to these meetings and exactly what you just said. I was like, well, there's a long way of getting to this. It's like sat in this room thinking, none of these people understand me. I'm a special fucking snowflake. They don't know how famous I am in Australia. And then someone stood up, someone from Kansas or something stood up and basically said exactly what you said just then. And I was like, oh, fuck, I'm just a bog standard. This is like the same thing that happens to everybody. <laughs> it's the same set of behaviors, the same way you feel about yourself, the same inability to control what happens. You end up hating who you are. Like I have said exactly what you just said. You didn't yeah. like you weren't a good friend to yourself. You didn't like who you were when you, when you did drink. That's exactly what happened to me. And if anyone's listening, I want you to understand that it's okay. This is just the thing that happens to some people when yeah. they, they can't stop drinking. And thankfully, there's a way out of it. Mm-hmm. There is a way out of it. Just, mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. And we've talked about this before. In America, alcoholism and drug addiction, while it is rampant, is less accepted than it is here, especially alcohol consumption and alcoholism. Yeah. There's, I feel, in my opinion, a blind eye is still turned towards people who drink way too much and are probably alcoholics. And it's something you really have a hard time talking about. Me to Australians who, let's say they're like, oh, well, he likes to have a good time. And I'm like, no, he's a fucking drunk. Yeah. You know, but that's judgment and that's my opinion and it's not my business. I remember I saw a commercial on the TV here 
And it was the cycle of how drinking is passed from a generation to generation. Yeah. It was like it started in the 50s and dad was saying to the little tyke, oh, get dad a beer. And, and then the kid goes and gets a beer and comes back and it's that kid now, hey, get dad a beer. And it's just, it's how it's passed from generation. The thing about, I'm, I know I'm moving around a lot. No, okay, lockout laws. Yes. Okay, that came to the best of my knowledge, after a bunch of those coward punches happened, those yes. one punch deaths. Yes. Okay, that was not a result. I mean, you weren't gonna cure that by having lockout laws and keeping people out or into clubs after a certain hour. That's caused by irresponsible drinking. That's caused by no education when it comes to drinking at all. Yeah. And that's what it's about. Yeah. I couldn't agree with you more. It's the result of substandard drug and alcohol policy. Yeah, and, but and it starts at the home. It, sure it starts does. at the home 100% and does. the school. If you're gonna teach sex education, yeah. you should teach booze and drug education. If you wanna hear my full conversation with Richard Reed, episode 326, just scroll on back and you'll find it there. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you to Bree Steele who produced this episode, Andy Maher on audio and video post-production, and you for listening. Uh, if you feel like voting for a Logie, you can find it in the show notes. If not, that's cool. I'll see you here on Friday.